Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the highlights of my high school experience was being part of the cast of uh, Camelot. Um, I was a freshman in high school and uh, went to tryouts and, you know, expected, hoped to get a part in the chorus, but then they started asking me to read some lines and next thing I know, I was casted as Tom of Warwick. Now, I'm pretty sure I know why I was cast as Tom of Warwick because I was, when I started high school, I'm not sure I was five feet tall. I'm not sure I weighed 100 pounds. Uh, by the way, I'm the shorter one in that picture, just in case you were, if you were confused about it. And, uh, but I, I got this role, and I got to hang out with, with the uh, upperclassmen who were in the star leading roles, and it was a great experience. And uh, I know they chose me just because they needed someone that looked like a 10-year-old boy, and so that I fit, the, fit that <laughs> bill at that time. But it was fun. But the other part, the rest of the time, that was the very last scene uh, of, the, of the musical. And the rest of the time, I was a part of the cast. I don't know, townsperson number 12 or something. I don't remember exactly. And um, here's the thing about that is that the only people who came to see the townspeople were friends and family. Nobody, nobody goes to the theater thinking, I'm going to go to see... Uh, soldier number six who has no lines. I mean, you just don't do that. There's that you don't see on the marquee that the name of some obscure townsperson as the person that's drawing people in. People go to see the stars. People go to see those who are in the lead roles. That's why people go to see things like, the, like this. But it doesn't mean that all of the rest of the cast isn't important. Imagine... Uh, Camelot without the townspeople and the chorus, or Oklahoma, or Beauty and the Beast, or take your pick. You, you need those people to make the, the production what it is. And it doesn't mean that those people are the stars, it just means you can't do it without them. And, and I think there's something of the gospel in that, particularly when we start thinking about the, the stories that we connect with Advent and Christmas. These stories have, have, are mainly about the stars. They're about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and Zechariah and Elizabeth. But behind all of those people who are the stars, the people that we read the stories to get us to Jesus, because ultimately they're all about Jesus, but those people, there are still behind all of those people what we might call in the theatrical world extras, the cast, the chorus, the townspeople, people who are nameless, people who we have really no, don't even think that much about, but are still integral to the story. And over the course of these next four weeks of Advent, I, I want us to think about some of these Advent and Christmas stories with those people in mind. Because when you boil it all down, Jesus comes not just for Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and Elizabeth and the shepherds and the wise men, but he comes for all of these people. And that includes you and me. I want to begin today with Zachariah, or actually the people 
who are in the story with Zechariah. Zechariah is one of the priests of Israel. There are thousands of priests in Israel. And in fact, there are so many priests that they have to divide them up into 24 divisions. And these 24 divisions have, have two weeks out of the year, one week here and another week later, where they serve in the temple. And they also help out with some of the big festivals. And so twice a year, Zechariah and his priests, and there are probably thousands of them, they come to the temple and they do their duties. And once a day, in the morning and in the, twice a day, in the morning and in the evening, one of those priests is selected to go into the temple and to burn incense. And it is, you can only do it once in your lifetime because there are so many priests who could do it. They try to spread it around. But there are lots and lots of priests who never get that experience. And Luke tells us that when, when Zechariah, Zechariah is chosen by Lot, that he was, he was chosen, uh, sort of drawn a name out of a hat, he's the one who gets chosen. I think God is in that. And God chooses Zechariah, and he goes in and he, he burns the incense. And Zechariah is standing as close to the Holy of Holies as a person can stand without being inside the, the Holy of Holies. Right next to the curtain that separates the, 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 where they sacrifice into that very special place that only the high priest can go once a year. He is close to what they perceive in that context as the presence of God. And he burns incense. Incense is symbolic of the prayers of the people. And while Zechariah is in the temple burning incense, all of the people are gathered outside praying. And there is this sense in their minds of the symbolism of Zechariah taking their prayers to God and burning the incense as a symbol of their prayers in the presence of God. What's interesting to me is that here are these people outside praying for God to do something. These are faithful Jews. Some of these people, probably many of them, come to the temple every morning and every evening to pray while the incense is being burned inside. And what is it they're praying about? Well, they probably are praying for some of the, the concerns they have in their lives. But by and large, mostly what they're doing is coming to pray for God to restore Israel. They're praying for God to redeem his people, for God to rescue his people, for God to send his Messiah to come. And lo and behold, while they are praying inside the temple, Zechariah has a vision from an angel who says, God is setting things in motion. And he says to Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. And he says, you're going to have a son. And he's going to be the forerunner, the, the precursor, the one that's going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. But when he says, you, your prayers have been answered, I don't think he just means John, who's going to come. I think he means all of these prayers. And God is on the move, and God is at work. What's fascinating to me is that when Zechariah gets outside... He, it's clear to the people that something has happened in there. They aren't sure what, but something has taken place. He's seen, they see, he's, they've seen some kind of vision from God. 
And what fascinates me is they are surprised and stunned and don't know how to respond when God does exactly what they've been praying for God to do. I have a feeling you and I might be able to relate to that. You know, they're standing outside and saying, what's taking Zachariah so long? What's going on? I don't think that means, wow, I'll bet Zechariah has had a vision from God. This is awesome. I think it probably means, so has he fallen and hurt himself? Did he drop the incense? Has something happened in there? Because I don't think there's a sense of expectation about God coming to meet with him. I think they're just wondering, what in the world is Zechariah doing that's taking so long? And sometimes I think we miss the work of God because we're so impatient. We think God can only answer prayers in the moment, right now, when we want him to answer prayers, instead of offering our prayers, pouring out our hearts to God, and letting God answer those prayers in the timing and the way that he knows is best. But we get impatient. We lose focus. I think that, that the, the people praying outside are not all that unlike the church that gathered to pray for God to, to bring rain to their community because they were suffering under a terrible drought. And they all gathered in the church to pray. And before they got started, the minister stood up and said, just go home. Everybody go home. And they're thinking, why? Why do we go home? We're here to pray. And he said to them, look, we have come here to pray for God to send rain, and I don't see, see anyone carrying one single umbrella. What are our expectations? It's like the church when they're praying for Peter in Acts 12. You know, Peter's in prison. The church is gathered in a home, actually in John Mark's mother's home, and they're praying for Peter to be released. And while they're praying... God sends an angel into the prison in the middle of the night, and he releases Peter, and Peter goes to that house because he knows that's where they're going to be. He knocks on the door because it's locked, and the servant girl comes, sees him, forgets to open the door, runs back, and says, Peter's here. And their response is not, wow, God's answered our prayers. Their response is, are you out of your mind? Peter's in prison. And I think that is often how we pray. There is something, you know, we have the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. I think sometimes familiarity can breed complacency. These people have been coming to the temple and praying every day. The Jewish people for centuries coming and praying every day, twice a day, for God to redeem Israel, to restore Israel, to send the Messiah. And now God says, I'm going to do it. And their response is, no, no, no. They miss it. And I have a feeling there are times when you and I are praying for God to work, praying for God to act, praying for God to do something, and he comes to us and he answers that prayer, and we miss it. Because sometimes our prayers are just words. And we're not really engaging with our prayers. It's like when I was learning Hebrew in seminary. 
You know, in translating, I was just translating word by word by word. I wasn't really thinking about the context. I wasn't really even thinking about sentences so much. It was just word for word for word because that's all I could think about in the moment trying to learn. And sometimes I know my prayers can be just words. And I suspect maybe your prayers can be just words. And there's no expectation as we engage with them. And sometimes we can get so focused on, on the prayers and, and, the, and the means of grace and the spiritual disciplines that we're practicing that we miss what God is doing because we're, we have such tunnel vision about it that God can only act this way, do this way, work this way. I had a friend who was telling me not too long ago about he was out deer hunting one year and he, he shot a deer it didn't, it didn't die right away, but it ran a little bit, and he saw it fall and, and knew that, you know, it was, it was dead. And so he went into the house and got his four or five-year-old son. He said, you want to come out and see the deer I got? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'd like to do that. So he brought him out, and he said, okay, here's where I was standing when I shot it, and we need to track it because it ran for a little bit. And so this little boy's got his head down. He goes, okay, there's a little spot where, where the deer's hoofs are messed, messed up the dirt. Follow that. Oh, there's a little spot of blood, and there's another spot of blood. And he kept walking, following all these signs. And he said he was like five feet from that deer, but he didn't see it because he had his head down looking at everything there. And all of a sudden he said, well, look up. And he looked up, and he saw the deer. And he went, whoa, wow. And I think sometimes we can get so enamored with what we're doing and the way we're doing it that we miss what God has already done and what God is doing out there because we, he's not doing it exactly the way we think he should do it. And the answer is not to say, well, let's stop practicing the spiritual disciplines. Let's stop praying. Let's stop reading the scripture. Let's stop engaging in worship. Let's stop all of the, the works of mercy. Let's stop doing that because they just make, they, they can make us become complacent. That's not the answer. The answer is to engage in them in a different way. With our eyes open. With a sense of expectation. And we need to do that. Because more often than not, our view of God is far too small. There's something about having a small view of God that, that in practice makes us feel a little bit more comfortable because we can control small. We can put small in a box. We can say, this is how God works, and then we put God into that box in the way that we believe God works. And it makes us feel more comfortable, because the reality is, we're a little bit apprehensive about a God who works in any way possible. We're a little bit uncomfortable about a God who is pushing us beyond what feels comfortable to us. We're uncomfortable with a God who works in ways that we aren't expecting. And so we spend so much of our time trying to put God into the box that we've created. And all the while, he's saying, let me show you what I'm doing and shatter the box. You see that all throughout the life of Jesus. He doesn't come in exactly the way that some people are expecting him to come. And so their mindset is he cannot be from God. 
Because God only works like this. And God only answers prayers like this. And sometimes that's how we pray. Sometimes we pray, God, here's how I want you to answer this. Instead of, God, here is the situation. I need you. We need you. We trust you to answer in the way that is best, in the time that is best. Because you know these things. Because the honest truth is, God, our boxes not only limit God in our perspective, but we miss so much of what God wants to do. I love in Ephesians 3, when Paul, writing to them, says that I, 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 want, I want God to show you, I want you to believe in the God whose mighty power is at work within you to accomplish infinitely more than we might think or imagine. I think when Zechariah comes out of the temple and he begins to, you know, he begins to, to give signs to them about what has happened and they begin to process that he's seen a vision and as the weeks and months go on and they begin to understand more of that, I think it's a struggle for them because they weren't expecting it to be like that. And I think sometimes you and I struggle because we aren't expecting God to work like that either. Whatever way he wants to work. Because what God wants to do is always bigger and better and greater than anything you and I could ever come up with. And Luke's point here is not to... Not to disparage the, the people who are out there praying. His point is to remind his readers and to remind all of us that God is so much bigger than the boxes in which we place him. Who would have imagined that God would come like a little to come as a little baby? Who would have imagined? That Jesus would have done the things he did in the way that he did them. Who would have imagined all the ways in which God has worked in the world? So much bigger, so much greater. And he wants that for you and me in our lives personally. He wants that in our world. Can we trust him for that? I heard a, a story just this week about uh, a, uh, some missionaries in China back in the, it was in the 30s or 40s, it was before the, the, the revolution. And they, they, were, they had a, a play, a, their houses there, and, and they kept, there was a military base right next to their house. And they had thought, tried to think of every way they could to connect with the soldiers in that military base. They had tried to get on the base, and they weren't allowed to. There was a lot of opposition to them. And they prayed and they thought and they, they cried out to God, how can we reach, we have a real passion and burden for these soldiers, but we have no way to reach them. And one day, a, a dog from the, from the military base wandered over into, by their houses, into the little chapel they had there. And no one was around. It went in and it got a Bible and it started chewing up that Bible. And when it finished... 
it, it went back to the base, but it had a couple of pages stuck in its teeth. And it went back over to the base, and one of the soldiers saw the dog and went over and wondered what was going on and pulled the pages out of the dog's mouth and began to read them. And as the soldier read those pages, his heart was just gripped by God. And he knew that where they had come from, and so he, he found a way to get over there to the, to the missionaries and told them, our dog bought these pages, these are amazing. And the missionary said, would you like the, would you like the, the rest of the Bible that those pages go to? He said, yes, I'd love that. So they gave him a Bible, and he went back to his barracks, and, and at night when everyone else was asleep, he'd take out his little flashlight, and he would read that Bible. And as he read, God began to work in his heart until he came to the place where he received, opened his heart to Jesus. And he began to share with some of the other soldiers, and they read the Bible, and more and more came to Jesus. And over the course of the next few months, more than 70 soldiers on that base opened their hearts to Christ. I am certain that none of the missionaries thought to themselves, look, here's a good strategy. Let's have a stray dog come over and chew up a Bible and take some pages back. But God was at work in ways they could not have dreamed or imagined. And I'm convinced that God is at work in your life and my life and our world in ways that we can't dream or imagine so much bigger. He wants to shatter our boxes. He wants to make us new and do more in us and in this world. And he wants us to be agents of that in ways that we probably can't dream or imagine. Advent is a time of preparation. Advent is a gift to us of preparation. Time for us to prepare our minds and our hearts to celebrate once again the coming of Christ. During this season, what might we trust God for? Is there something on our mind, something on our heart, something in this world, expectations for God that are so much bigger than we could dream or imagine, but not for God? I want to invite you to join me during this Advent season to pray, to believe, to trust God something more than we can dream or imagine because this is the kind of God he is and this is what God loves to do Holy Father we want to thank you for your grace and mercy upon us in this world and we ask that you would give us new faith to expect more from you during this Advent season. To believe, to see, shatter our boxes for the sake of your kingdom and this world. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen.